Hi, I'm Steve Malunovic, and you're listening to You Changed My Mind. I started this podcast for people who maybe have been given answers to questions about faith, God, or the Bible that just don't work for you anymore. Or maybe you have questions, yet no one to ask. Maybe you felt like you weren't allowed to bring something up at church or at the family dinner table. Maybe you got in trouble for asking something that's impolite or challenged someone. I'm advocating that you aren't a bad Christian for having doubts, asking tough questions, for changing the way you think and what you believe when new information is presented. This is the podcast where no questions about God, the Bible, church, and Christian life are off limits. My guest today is Michael Kinsman. Michael and I have known each other for a couple years now, having been friends and peers at Fuller Theological Seminary. Uh, in Pasadena, California. Michael's also now a pastor in the greater Los Angeles area uh, and just an overall brilliant theologian, someone who I, I really respect his opinion and enjoy hearing his thoughts on various different topics. Uh, and so today, Michael is coming to talk with us about prayer. Uh, so why don't we start with that? Michael, just tell us uh, a little bit more about yourself uh, and why you chose to talk about prayer. Yeah, uh, like I said, uh, my name is Michael. I'm a Fuller grad. As you know, Stephen is. Prayer is, is really important to me um, for a number of reasons, but I'll, I'll kind of start off with this. Uh, growing up in the church, you know, I was taught like we all were that prayer was a good thing, uh, but it was also kind of this like pseudo magical thing. You know, we were taught to pray with meals, to pray when we wanted something, pray when we're in the middle of hard times, you know, uh, nothing that would, I would really dispute are, are good things, good ideas. Uh, but I would say that the way some people talk about prayer can seem to be a little bit harmful, um, a little bit strange at times. A lot of the responses uh, that I hear from people in the church are to, to some fairly serious situations in life are, you know, just pray about it, you know, just pray it away type of mentality. Uh, and that seems very unhelpful, unhelpful to me. It seems non-biblical, non-Christian, um, in some sense uh, to me, because those fairly serious situations that are often, you know, accompanied with the response of just pray about it, those seem more like a kind of a type of inactive prayer rather than uh, the type of prayer that goes out and does, you know. It's so important to me because prayer is a critical topic and it shows uh, and kind of illuminates some of the more intimate moments in our lives where we can somehow access the God of the universe and have this kind of really beautiful, intimate space um, where we can lament and mourn and praise and uh, experience joy in, in each and every situation of our lives, whether that's good things, bad things, kind of neutral things. Um, and so prayer matters to me because it is, it kind of really drills down to uh, the mo- at least how I see it. Uh, it drills down to the most uh, kind of intimate parts of who you are and the most kind of intimate experiences you have as uh, a human being. Wow. Yeah, that's awesome, man. I really appreciate that. Definitely sounds like something that, that you've been passionate about and have talked about. So I know you've, you've already covered a little bit. And of course, this is a lot of ground to cover. But can you give us like a, just a quick synopsis uh, of your theology on prayer? You know, maybe you've already talked about things. I don't know if you want to reformat it or if there's just things you <laughs> want to add. Uh, to just give us a more robust theology on prayer. Yeah, so I would, this is very kind of distilled down, but I would uh, attempt to to summarize my theology of prayer kind of in this way. 
And I, I would start out with uh, two basic ways of kind of expressing my theology of prayer, uh, or at least two ways that I see prayer uh, in the world. The first type is inactive prayer. The second type is active prayer. And so uh, those two categories are kind of how I see the way people pray, the way I you know, often pray. Um, but to kind of break them down even further, I would say that kind of these inactive prayers are those prayers that we kind of just, you know, send up into the sky and hope things get better. Uh, I wouldn't consider this kind of prayer biblical necessarily, or the type of prayer that Jesus encourages. Certainly not. It, it does, doesn't seem to be the kind of prayer that God invites in scripture. It, at times it tends to treat God as some sort of, you know, magician for our wishes rather than the God who incarnates among us and who suffers with us. Uh, that God with us moment uh, doesn't seem to be encapsulated by these kind of inactive prayers where we're just kind of, you know, throwing them out into the sky because they don't really kind of capture uh, the the depth and reality that our active prayers do, right? Uh, the point of prayer isn't that we, you know, get all that we ask for. Uh, the point, or I should say one point at least, I don't want to kind of oversimplify this. Mm. Uh, the, the one point of prayer is to actively point our hearts, our hands, and our feet toward loving our neighbor and actively speaking with God, with our God about our triumphs, our suffering, our, our questions uh, so that we look more and more like Yahweh every day in our world, right? So that we uh, become these, these little Christs more and more in our world um, and that we uh, can show that same type of spirit and love and action that Jesus does, right? And this happens through you know, this, these active prayers happen in all, all sorts of situations, right? Uh, lament is a form of active prayer uh, because it, 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 it's not just a, you know, this type of wishful uh, prayer that says, oh, it really hurts. I really want it to get better. It's this kind of yearning, deep, deep yearning um, and sorrow that uh, we cast upon our creator in hopes that uh, our toiling will our toiling situation will change you know we're still doing stuff to try to change our situation right um it, it's not lament is not inactive at all a form of active prayer could be something along the lines of of uh, you know we we thank you god for this food that we have uh, for the hands that have have worked so hard and the stories that come with those those hands and those feet that bring us our food uh, the the earth and creation you have bestowed us with uh, to take care of um, and to work until uh, of the ground and to uh, uh, take care of of the things and plants and creatures that give their lives so that we can live that is a very active deep form of prayer uh, that is really intentional and uh, really uh, can in in my perspective from my perspective sum up uh, what a theology of my, my theology of prayer looks like. Yeah, man, that's awesome. I mean, you touched on so many things, things I haven't even thought about. I think the big one is that you talked about that sometimes we see God as a magician in this inactive mm -hmm. prayer. Um, and I think that's always like my base instinct with prayer. 
is that I do a lot of inactive prayer or I think more uh, with inactive prayer, even though I might do some more active stuff or some more formational types of prayers. So actually that, that's what I wanted to jump into. And that's, I think one of the things that like really drove me to talk about this uh, is prayer is formation and sort of prayer is pointing our heart, our hands and, you know, our, our bodies towards God and our, our spirit towards God to look more like God, as mm-hmm. you said. And so I, I guess I'm just curious. So, you know, what about those, those times where, mm-hmm. you know, is it ever appropriate in some fashion to see God like a magician and not literally in that sense, but that we're like, God, I really need a, a breakthrough here, or I, I really need this sort of thing. Uh, you know, maybe there's, there's some requests, maybe, you know, you really need healing or something like that. We see that in the Bible. How are we supposed to see God in that sense when we are making a request, right. when, when there's almost no other way uh, mm-hmm. than just for God to provide in some sense. Yeah, I think uh, that's, that's a great question. Um, this is why like any like theology of prayer is going to be missing something, right? You know, mm-hmm. we're, we're not God. We don't receive these prayers, but we, we cast them up. But I would say that those kind of situations kind of fall along these kind of Venn diagram circles uh, between lament mm-hmm. and, and hope hopeful prayer, which is another, I would call a form of active prayer. Um, because, you know, hope is, is not a inactive thing. If hope is inactive, then that's hopelessness, right? Hmm. Um, but hope is very active. It causes us to move our feet. It causes us to uh, engage with our neighbor um, and, and more. Uh, so I would say those are, that, that type of question doesn't still doesn't treat God as a magician, but really kind of finds uh, points of intersection uh, between hope and uh, hope and lament. Um, because, you know, those things are very closely related. Like if we're not lamenting something, we're probably not going to be, you know, hoping, you know, our hope isn't going to be triggered either because hope is uh, at its kind of most basic thing is in, in view of a lamentable situation. Hmm. Yeah, I get that. Yeah, and mm-hmm. that, that that makes a lot of sense. I guess, you know, one of the, the main reasons why I wanted to talk to you about this and get your, your point of view mm-hmm. is because, uh, I forget if I told you this before we started recording, but I uh, have been working on memorizing the book of James. I know some people have done that and, and actually really enjoyed it. I didn't, I wasn't you know, perfect at, at getting the whole book from start to finish uh, <laughs> by memory. And one of the things that really fascinates me about the book of James uh, is just, you know, the theology on prayer that, that James gives. And I also saw why Martin Luther didn't really like the book of James because it's very challenging. Uh, it is. To, yeah, to the Protestant perspective. Um, you know, so that, that's why, you know, I asked you, you know, what about the times mm. where you are asking for something that probably mm. only God can give? Uh, I think it was somewhere in James, he says, you have not uh, because you ask not. You didn't, you don't have these things because you're not praying mm. about it. And yet when you do pray about it, you ask right. with wrong motives. And I think that's been something I've been <laughs> yeah. wrestling with a lot. So I wonder, you know, if you, if you have any perspective on that, maybe there's a class at Fuller I didn't take where we talked about <laughs> this. You know, what, what do we do when, you know, when we feel like we're asking with right motives? Uh, you know, for example, this is totally going to date this episode. Uh, and I always try not to do these things. But um, that, that we're in the, the midst of the coronavirus crisis, that we're right. in lockdown. And I'm I'm sure people have prayed with what I would think would be right motives that God would just get rid of this virus. That, right. Yeah. Something. I mean, yeah. That's an easy, like that, right. That's like easy, you know, easy win for God to just like, whoosh. No one, like no one will be poorly affected by that. 
you know, and so you got to be thinking like, why, why no answer here, right? Surely a righteous person has sought to pray this, this coronavirus away, right? And my kind of perspective on that, um, at least from an intellectual level, maybe not from a, like a base emotional Mm -hmm. instinct level is that, uh, although they may be tied, um, is that a lot of, a lot of, even though like James provokes this, you know, God's not answering you because of X, Y, or Z type of mentality. Uh, whenever I see like in, in scripture, I see humans trying to get answers from God hmm. um, in this type of uh, scenario and dynamic, especially in forms of prayer and passages about prayer. Uh, I see God, I mean, God, I don't really see often times where God answers, you know, with these magical miracles, right? It happens, but it doesn't happen often. Um, It certainly can happen. uh, But I think most often the answer, quote unquote, answer we get from God is a, an answer of presence and Mm co-suffering. So a lot of the, I mean, this kind of may be a little tangential, but uh, whenever I am faced with, uh, or someone asks me about like theodicy or the problem of evil, um, I always tend to go in this direction because it just makes the most sense to me. Um, and that is that, you know, the answer to evil is that there's not really an answer to evil so much as there is an answer to human suffering, which is to suffer with us. It's a empathic response by God to send Jesus to suffer with us um, and for us. Um, it's not the answer we want. <laughs> you know, 95% of the time, we don't, we don't mm-hmm. just want someone with us. We just want the thing to go away. Um, uh, but the, the answer, I think, is, is that the, again, air quotes here, answer, is that we get a co-sufferer in the person of Jesus, um, someone who has been through the, all the garbage that we go through, um, and has been tempted like we have, as scripture points out. Uh, and so we don't get this logical response to human suffering, uh, this logical response to our prayers often. It's it's almost always a response of, of empathy and community and incarnation. Mm-hmm. Um, I've noticed that um, uh, in, in like some of the, the, the past couple months, um, I, I've not had a good start to 2020. Um, you know, physical ailments and other stuff has happened and it's been pretty awful. Mm-hmm. Um, and then co- coronavirus hits and everything goes crazy for everybody. Uh, but I've found that... Um, even before coronavirus hit, now even through Zoom, that connection and community are the answers that soothe my soul the most, you know. Uh, There are, you know, very tangible physical things as well that help. Um, But the thing that helps me to heal the most from, uh, from, you know, the scars that happen uh, have been friends and community and and the, the presence of people in my life who can image Christ to me in those moments, who can get down into the mud with me and just be present, um, who know me and can speak words of, of hope and love. Yeah, that's good stuff. I really appreciate that. And, and I like how you brought up the problem of evil and, mm-hmm. and suffering and theodicy, because I think that's where a lot of these, these subjects, even like ones that, yeah. that I have on the docket 
uh, for other people, I often find myself kind of, yeah, almost getting to the root of that. I think that's such a, uh, a deep root to these big questions or to doubts and faith. I guess mm-hmm. the way I like to think about it is, you know, there's evil, there's suffering in the world. And I think there's, there's other philosophers, I'm sure, who have formulated in this way. There's evil, there's suffering in the world. I don't think anyone would really deny that. And that God has the ability or has the power to do something about it. Or maybe if it's not all of it, that there are at least certain things that God could do something about, and yet God does not. So either A, God is not able to, or God doesn't want to. So I remember a while ago, I think it was a class I had in seminary. We went to a a conference as part of this class, and Tony Campolo was there, who I know spurs lots of controversy. But he, you know, is someone who is so deeply ingrained and so deeply rooted in this idea of how loving and generous uh, God is. Mm -hmm. And so to him, it was just unthinkable that if God could do something about suffering, that he would not. And so he just said, God, God can't do anything about this earthquake or, you know, this coronavirus on a national or global (laughs) level. And that kind of like irked some people, but I went, well, okay, I kind of get that. But I think, you know, I kind of land in the opposite school of thought where for me, you know, I go, okay, he created the world with, just a, a, the, the words from his mouth. You know, he healed people. Jesus healed people just, you know, saying the word and they were miles mm-hmm. away. So, and that, that's where for me, you know, I just go, okay, so, you know, why God aren't you doing this? And that's where people talk about plans. We have different things. But yeah, I totally get you that right. it kind of goes back to the idea of theodicy. But I, I want to get your perspective on, on this as well. It, does prayer change the mind of God? Uh, you know, so it's this idea of when we pray, you know, is God not going to do this thing? If I'm praying, you know, Lord, you know, I, I just pray that, uh, you know, you give me a thousand dollars or something like that. And let's say I pray that and God says, absolutely, here you go. Here's a thousand bucks. And it just shows up my bank account magically, you know, like God's <laughs> magician. But if I had not prayed, would God have done that thing for me? And I think the implication is if he, if God was already going to do that thing for me, well, well, then why, why pray? And, and you kind of got into it, the formation aspect, but you know, mm-hmm. is, is there something deeper that, is there something more to that? Or, or is it largely this idea of formation? Oh, that's a big question. Yeah. <laughs> no, and no uh, worries. Yeah. I know this isn't something we always talked about in seminary yeah. at church. That's a great question. Um, to answer kind of the question uh, or try to answer the question of, you know, does prayer change God's mind or heart? Um, I would say yes and no. Um, you know, we, we live in a world of cause and effects, uh, you know, that was created by our creator. So in a very passive way, yeah, God, uh, you know, has acted so that certain, you know, systems uh, in the world would, you know, uh, help us to our benefit. And then we have put in certain systems that have caused people to suffer. Um, and so just on one level, we live in a world of cause and effect where those things happen. Not that God can't step in the middle of that, uh, as we often see God do in scripture. Um, but I would also say, uh, you know, yes, we, in, in the sense that we get the impression from scripture, um, that God's heart can be affected by our prayers um, we certainly see this this super relational dynamic um, interaction happen uh, 
for instance, in, in the story of, of Moses, where uh, I believe it's Zipporah who, you know, God says he's going to strike down Moses, going to kill him unless Zipporah does something. Mm. And then Zipporah does the thing and he decides to spare Moses's life. Um, so from our perspective, I'd say absolutely. Um, I, I cannot say that uh, there is anything in my in my knowledge of scripture or even my own biblical theology um, that would say that in the long term, kind of thinking non-linearly, that our prayer changes how God's going to mm. respond. Because um, I don't think God, uh, you know, I, I don't know if I am comfortable with saying that God experiences time and decisions oh. like linearly like we do. Mm. Um, you know, there's, it's, it, it, from there it goes into bunches of worlds of open theism and determinism mm-hmm. and all these other exterior things that we don't need to get into right now. Um, but no, I, I don't really think God's care depends on our prayers, but I do think our prayers in that sense remind us of who sustains us and, uh, sometimes what uh, sustains us um, and can often push our heart, hands, and feet toward right relationships, which um, ideally would mean towards certain types, would lead towards certain types of healing. Um, yeah, so on one hand, uh, does prayer change the mind of God? Yes. On one hand, no. Um, it really depends on kind of the perspective you're, you're taking into the, the, the question and the conversation. Um, uh, as far as formation is concerned, uh, you know, prayer, I'd say prayer is, uh, for our formation, formation as people, but I also think it's not just for formation. I think it's a lot more than that. You know, we pray in scripture when we pray, we pray because in scripture we see a God that deeply cares about our innermost hurts, joys, traumas, and more, you know, in Romans, Paul talks about God knowing these inexpressible what these inexpressible groans mean, you know, our sighs, our shouts, when we kind of just scream into the void, you know, Mm. Um, like God somehow knows what that means in our, our depths and the depths of who we are. And, and that should change us, you know, change how we see the world, change how we see our neighbor that should form us. Um, But I think it's, it's about more than just formation of ourselves as a person. Um, and this is certainly not unrelated, but it's also about just relationship um, uh, and kind of moving towards those right relationships. It's about, uh, you know, our relationship with God and prayer, what that looks like. Um, and often that's times it's really, it's those really hard prayers too, mm. right? Um, one of my prayers lately has been, you know, God, please help me to love my enemies and those who have hurt me, you know, not in an unhealthy way, but, you know, God help me to see them as you do. Help me to see the larger story at play in their life and in my life. Those are the hardest prayers. Um, those are the hardest challenges we see Jesus give, right? Love your enemies, you know, do good to those uh, who, you know, don't have your best interest at heart. What does that mean? And, you know, um, and those are often painful, right? It's painful to actively pray for people or groups of people who have traumatized you, right? And to, to see and hope for 
their restoration and change that leads towards a better world uh, for them and others. That's hard because, you know, as people, as humans, we do not want people who have hurt us to, to succeed or to uh, find healing that, you know, may or may not have uh, caused, you know, their traumas may or may not have caused uh, more traumas for us down the road. Right. Hmm. Um, And so we, we like, as humans, we like scorched earth, right? Where, you know, our enemies uh, are destroyed and beaten down. Um, You know, the kind of spirit of those imprecatory Psalms, you know, crush my enemies type of thing. But that's not, that's not Jesus. That's not the God that we love and serve. Um, That's not what we're commanded to do. Uh, And so kind of circling back to the the role of formation here, I find that prayer is incredibly helpful for formation uh, as people and the formation of our relationships, but also is an even bigger conversation than just that. Yeah, man, that's great stuff. Especially, um, man, I was just wowed by the idea, the nonlinear aspect of, of God's reception of our prayers um, and just the nonlinear nature of God that he's outside of time. And even just trying to wrap my head around that, you know, sometimes when I'm praying, uh, helps me get a bigger picture of who God is. And yeah, I mean, man, that, that really blows me away. I, I, I'm trying to remember where I'd heard this or read this, but I guess there's, there's this idea that change generally happens within time. Um, some people, mm-hmm. you know, argue that there is such a thing as a change in kind, even if mm-hmm. there is no time. I, I don't know, maybe I'm not philosophically minded <laughs> to, to fathom that, but yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. That It's hard to say that God changed his mind if he is not within our parameters of time. Um, yeah. And yet, so I'm, I'm curious what your take is then, uh, or, you know, maybe there isn't much of a take because uh, I figured if I told you this before, but I kind of lean towards a determinist camp, which I know gets into a whole slew of other <laughs> things. Um, but yeah. Okay. It, you want to yeah, go it, there? Let's go there. I mean, we can. <laughs> um, it just makes me think of like the, you know, for example, Jesus with the Syrophoenician woman who totally. came to him and he's like, no, like, you know, why should I, yeah, I think, uh, I don't remember what it was, like, should, should dogs be given, you know, the food that belongs to children or something like that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, she keeps praying with, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I'd read it in a great book that, you know, people like her prayed with, with chutzpah, uh, mm-hmm. you know, as, as it would be said in Hebrew, or that Abraham had sort of this ballsy uh, negotiation with God over Sodom and Gomorrah that he's like, okay, well, if there's 50, well, no, if there's 20, if there's 10, uh, and that there's sort of this encouragement throughout the scriptures of this rewarding of people who mm. pray with chutzpah. Um, yeah. And so I guess, you know, from the determinist perspective <laughs> that I have, you know, I guess it's sort of that God knew that that was going to happen or God knew that we were going to pray. And mm. yet there's, I, I guess, something about the nature of God that he knows exactly how it's going to work. He's like, okay, I'll let you do this thing. Uh, you know, and maybe he would have without it, or maybe there is no, no other alternative. Maybe yeah. it only could have happened that way. I think insofar as this conversation is concerned, um, and, and the larger like free will versus determination, deterministic, you know, conversation is concerned. I kind of lean towards a, uh, 
uh, a teleological bent. Um, and what I mean by that is, so we have, what we have in scripture, what we're told is that the kind of the end point, the telos of our world is the restoration and shalom of humanity uh, and creation, right? And so we're moving, we're pointed in that direction somehow, some way, that's where it's leading. That is the determined goal However, it ends up looking. We don't know that. There's no way for us to know that. Um, only God knows that. Hmm. Um, and so I, I kind of find the whole like free will versus determinism, predestination conversation kind of ridiculous to okay. a point because it doesn't really matter if, if we're free or not free, um, you know, on a practical level, um, you know, and the whole conversation of what exactly is freedom? Is it uh, you know, is it just being able to make a choice freely? You know, what does that even mean? Um, what about the things that are, are pushing us in the direction of the choices we make, which are, seem to be a lot of the times uh, deterministic, right? Um, cause and effect, all those things, you know, the very, we live in a very deterministic world. But there is also this sense in scripture uh, that we seem to get from, from Jesus and, and other passages where this like love itself seems to be the freest thing that we can do. Right. Um, so maybe we, we do live in a predestined deterministic world, uh, mm. but, but love is the actual free thing that we do. Right. Oh, um, and I think uh, where this gets back to prayer is that, um, you know, in, in our prayers, again, hopefully what we're doing is we're being formed into more, Christ-like people that love our world and lead towards its restoration. And maybe it's those free choices of love um, that are um, leading us toward that restoration. And so maybe the, the hardwired, uh, you know, foretold things in our humanity, this is what I tend to think, are the, the wrong decisions, the bad decisions, the uh, kind of, uh, you know, the human condition leads us, we're hardwired to uh, do not so good things. Um, I wouldn't call this total depravity or any of that other Calvinist stuff. Um, I think that's really incomplete. Um, but I would say, you know, love is the free choice we make. Um, the other choices, you know, they seem kind of hardwired to me. But when we choose to love, when we choose to act like Jesus, that is uh, the free choice we make. Um, it's, and it's really freaking hard, you know, uh, uh, this, I mean, it was actually a topic of the Westworld finale, which I was watching last night. Oh, I you haven't know. seen it. Don't spoil oh, it. Oh, you know, I, I won't spoil anything, but there's a point, you know, where they're talking about, uh, you know, free will. Are we, do we have, can we make choices? Um, and one of the persons talks about, uh, their perspective is, yeah, we can, but it's just really, really, really hard. Mm. Um, and that's the case with love in my, in, uh, in my, from my perspective, it's, yeah, we can make those choices of love, but it's really hard sometimes. A lot of the times it's really hard. We have to, um, you know, really work hard at it. Um, it's not as simple as, you know, uh, I'm doing this selfless thing to do, you know, sometimes we also need to take care of ourselves in those moments hmm. um, because the whole equation might involve um, saying or doing something that is not received as love uh, by another, but is really loving anyway. And so it gets into all this like weird, you know, minutia of, 
you know, how do we love ourselves and others in the way that God intends leads towards the shalom and restoration of humanity. Hmm. But again, prayer, I think, helps us to find uh, and center ourselves in that right relationship with God, in that honest, open, raw relationship with God that would form us to become like little Christ. Yeah, man, that's awesome. Yeah, man. Yeah, it's definitely something that I haven't really thought through some of those aspects as much. I think I lean towards the the philosophical and like ethereal sort of theological stuff. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm glad you brought up Westworld because I love that show. It's, <laughs> and it's yeah, it's great. It really, I think so much of it focused on the idea of, or the, the ideas of um, free will, determinism, even like the theological mm-hmm. aspects of it. Absolutely. Um, so that's why I love it. Although I know, it's on HBO sometimes, you know, I get a little criticism. It's funny, my, my wife, Gracie, I forget, I don't think you know this, but sometimes like when one of those scenes comes on, like, you know, I'll like look away and she'll be like, okay, wait, I'll tell you when, you know, they're like, there's no nudity or something like that. And she hates violence and yeah. looks away when there's violence. And I tell her when there's no violence. And so it's kind of funny how, uh, you know, no one cares when there's yeah. violence, but there's a nipple. <laughs> um that that's I'm sure a topic for another time. Well, I know we have yeah. a little bit more time left. Mm-hmm. So if we don't get to all these or, you know, we don't do sure. justice, I understand. Um, but I'm wondering what, what you think about, uh, especially as a Protestant, uh, you know, it, it's used a lot as a proof text uh, for you know, some of my Catholic friends. <laughs> it's always fun. Um, in, in James 5, uh, 5 16, uh, it says that the, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And we, we kind of got to this, but mm-hmm. You know, I think it, it makes me on an ethereal level wonder, does God listen to the prayers of some people more than others? Or, you know, is there maybe, you know, someone who's righteous, who hasn't prayed for coronavirus to go away? Or maybe is it my fault that, uh, you know, I haven't been righteous enough? Uh, and so God is like, well, I, 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 you know, I'd answer that prayer mm-hmm. if you were a little more righteous. Yeah, I mean... I, I, yeah, I definitely don't see it like that, uh, personally. Um, what I, cause I, I've, I've talked to many a professor about this and, you know, done this work in, in Greek classes and whatnot, you know, um, it could also mean that a righteous man or woman or person acts righteously towards others. Um, Mm. A righteous or according to some translations that the, the word that should be used is just. So a just person, according to some translations would ideally live as God intends towards self and others. Uh, it could just mean that a just person is effective in what they're doing because their prayer is powerful and active and they are leading towards that, um, you know, that envisioned restoration and goal of Jesus uh, in this world. Um, and in specifically uh, the church. Um, if I mean, and, and of course that, that scenario, if that's what James is talking about, um, that, you know, it probably wouldn't apply to like the, the, the prayers we we're talking about earlier where like we're praying for healing or other types of prayers. Mm. Um, but if you're praying like, you know, they were in the midst of persecution and uh, you know, an empire that's hunting them down um a person uh, that is just, that lives righteously, um, as that lives as Jesus taught us to live, um, that person is going to be effective, um, especially in the context of a, uh, 
uh, where you know you're being hunted down and your your movement is somehow slowly growing in the midst of persecution um you know because this is a totally different world than the one we live in as christians mm-hmm. we're the you know even though we're kind of like post-christendom we're still we still have a lot of cultural cachet we're not persecuted really at all um at least in our context of you know america um but you know that looks drastically different in a different context and so the question of you know am i righteous enough uh may not be the the right question because how we think of righteousness right Hmm. um it could be a lot different than than what james is thinking of here it could be um like is this just person is this person who lives like who and looks like jesus um their prayers are powerful and effective um because god works in and through them Hmm. uh, as they look more and more like jesus um and you know I don't know how that plays out um, exactly. Uh, James doesn't really tell us um, other than saying uh, what he does in that particular uh, section of scripture. Uh, But yeah, it, it could mean a number of different things. Yeah, no, that's good stuff. Uh, Do you have time for like one more of these? Absolutely. Absolutely. uh, Before we wrap up. So, you know, once again, this could be worth its own podcast episode, just like uh, mm-hmm. some of these other ones. This is one that, that I I hadn't thought about or really talked about with many people until I uh, got involved uh, with a little bit more charismatic circles uh, who are big on healing. And, you know, for example, we had a, a night of prayer and worship at a church I was at. And, you know, they asked if anyone needed to come forward with healing. And I had a little bit of like a very, very minor disagreement with, with someone who is praying uh, you know, I think it was like his ankle, this guy's ankles hurt, uh, or he had problems with them. And, um, uh, he's, I, you know, I prayed once and, you know, he said, yeah, they feel better. And I was like, great. And then this other guy goes, well, we should keep praying. And I was like, why? <laughs> we prayed once Jesus healed people with just a word. Like, you know, that, that's it. Power and authority of Jesus. He's feeling better. Maybe it'll get better later. And, uh, he, he, um, sort of proof texted, uh, later on this, this text in Mark, uh, which, you know, we don't dive too, too far into it, but it's basically Jesus heals a blind man and he does something with like working the mud or something. And it's interesting that this, this uh, story is only found in Mark. Um, mm-hmm. And so Jesus heals this man and he says, what do you see? And he's like, well, I see people kind of walking around like trees. It's also very difficult to translate in the study I've done. But essentially Jesus, you know, does some, does some more stuff and then he can fully see and he heals them in two stages. Uh, mm-hmm. And so I'm curious, you know, how, how do we reconcile with that? How do we, uh, you know, wrestle with that idea of, you know, sometimes people are healed or prayers are answered just like that, or sometimes it comes in stages. You know, what, what do we do with that? When I look, look at a lot of these stories, like this one in particular, it's hard not to see it in, uh, in, from the perspective uh, that we see these types of things in, right. From like these Western cultural contexts, um, where we like to be able to explain away everything logically, right? Mm. Um, we, uh, which, you know, not always a bad thing. You know, we have science and medicine and, uh, and care. Now they can deal with a lot of things that they didn't back then to state the, you know, blatantly obvious. Um, and so I like, I like both and approaches on these types of things. Um, so, yeah, 
totally pray for the person and send them to the doctor. <laughs> like, you know, uh, modern medicine is a beautiful, wonderful gift from God that, you know, that as God's people that, and as humanity, we've been able to like make these incredible advances that they didn't have back then. So that's on one hand, that's just amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, this isn't an unusual thing, right? You know, uh, even that back then, I'm sure it was seen as unusual, uh, as you know, most things Jesus does uh, could be considered unusual to some extent. Um, and to be honest, I'm not sure what's happening in these stories, right? Why, why, why does Jesus do this a certain way? Why does he take mud and, and cover his eyes with it? And he's healed from that, you know, um, Jesus, somehow Jesus's, uh, his godly nature is funneled through that. Like why, how, you know, it falls outside of our realm of comprehension. Um, but there's also this reality that prayer by its very nature lies outside our comprehension. You know, theologians can write all day about theories as to why Jesus does strange things and uh, write all day about, you know, the mechanics of prayer and mm. how God works through prayer. Um, but they can't really take the mystical nature out of prayer, right? Uh, if I was Jesus, yeah, I would do it instantly, but I'm not Jesus. <laughs> um and a lot of a lot of aspects of this story and many others, we just don't get to see like the whole backstory, the whole you know we don't get to see what's in Jesus' mind, um, either because he doesn't say anything about it, or we don't get any more context from the writers, um, and uh, you know we we don't get this man's backstory other than he's blind um, and that Jesus heals him in this certain way. Uh, maybe he hasn't been touched by another human in years and that mm. physical touch, like just, you know, it's so important to him that Jesus decides, Oh, I'm going to do this in a way that's highly physical it involves the dirt and the mud, you know, uh, and it involves uh, me taking you by the hand and, and showing you just the grace of another human. Right. We just don't know. And uh, I find often that saying, I don't know, especially when it comes to the topic of prayer, might be the best answer we can give at times. Um, I don't know. I can tell you what I see and what I think and what I hear, but I can't tell you for sure that I know exactly why this happened, right? Um, we, we, like many other theologians, can come up with our best, you know, uh, answers and thoughts and, you know, based off of all of our years of study and critical thinking about these topics, but you know, prayer is by its nature, a mystical thing that we can't really explain with human words and human wisdom, you know, uh, it's something that is inherently divine. Man, that's great stuff. Thanks for for sharing that. It's a lot of wisdom there. So just, you know, as we, as we wrap up final things and you, you've mentioned, you Mm -hmm. know, a lot of great practical things, which is something I often lack. Yeah. Is there anything else you just want to add, uh, for helpful ways to practice prayers, our Mm -hmm. theology of it, grows and develops. Absolutely. Um, I would say that there are certain rhythms and practices uh, that seem more meaningful to me, and I'm sure other people can develop practices and rhythms that seem more meaningful to them. Uh, But for me, my prayer time often includes these like raw, visceral moments, right? Often moments of lament where I just don't hold back from from God. And to me, prayer represents that kind of like separate, holy, of holy space uh, where our full selves are on display to God, right? We don't have to 
hold anything back. Um, and often my prayers are full of, of, you know, strong language and anger and lament and, you know, where I just kind of shout into the void all my most honest feelings about the world and everything that's happening in it and in my life at the moment. And so I think uh, seeing prayer as a space where we can, you know, throw all of our honest feelings and emotions at God is, mm-hmm. is really, really wonderful private, beautiful space that we can create by just talking to God, um, which is really, you know, in my, uh, in my work as a youth pastor, uh, you know, what I try to impress upon on the kids, you know, is this doesn't have to be such a formulaic thing mm-hmm. that we've, that you see so often in churches, right? This is a very visceral, raw thing that, you know, we see the Psalms themselves are so strong. Like, you know, the, the psalmists, they write words and you think, wow, okay, they're talking to God like that? Uh, okay, I guess I can too. Um, and I, I believe so. You know, I believe God uh, invites even those most raw, most intimate thoughts and feelings uh, from us. But I also think it can be peaceful and restorative as well, you know, to do things like meditative prayer or to pray before meals and acknowledge, like I I mentioned before, where food comes from, the hands that have prepared it and toiled and worked so hard to get it to our tables and to thank God for those people um, who, and to acknowledge them and their stories, right? Again, setting us on that right relationship track with the world. Um, Because when we think about those things, we often treat those people better. Um, but to pray is, is really to be intentional about life, about the way we think about life, about the way we are living our life, and about the way we are giving in our life. So yeah, pray before meals, pray in meditation, lament. Uh, God invites us into real and often raw relationship through prayer. And let's not take that for granted, you know. Uh, prayer And prayer should ultimately help us connect to God and to one another. Well, thank you for that. And thanks for being on the, on the podcast today. I really appreciate it. So it's uh, beyond. With, yeah, with that, I, I want to wish you a happy May the 4th since we're recording this on May 4th. So one final question, what is the proper uh, response to May the 4th be with you? And also with you. <laughs> and all, oh, okay. But if you're and Catholic, also with you, is it like, and with your spirit? <laughs> uh, well, I, you know, both work, you know, I don't see why both aren't, aren't proper. I, my response is always, and also with you, mostly because I've seen Mark Hamill say that multiple times. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. That's awesome. Um, yes. So, uh, yeah. May the fourth, may the force be with you and also with you is, is the call and response, I think. All right. Well, that's all our time. Uh, thank you so much for being on the show, Michael, and hopefully we'll see you sometime soon. Thanks, Steven. It's great to be on. I really enjoyed my time with Michael, and if there's anything I changed my mind on, it's that God is outside of time. Although it's not so much a change of mind, but an important truth to remember. It's hard to fathom change happening without time, so it helps fill in some gaps my main question, does prayer change the mind of God? At the same time, it's still difficult for me to grasp the idea of prayer as formational. If God wants us to be shaped in a certain way, why not use a method that doesn't involve us petitioning God for something, such as praying for rain and a drought or healing when someone is sick? I came from an evangelical tradition where we would say, 
The Bible says what it says, meaning that we took the text literally, especially when it came to creation, the flood, and other texts like that. Something I've struggled with is that as evangelicals, we don't interpret passages like the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective in light of the Bible says what it says, so I believe that at face value. If we did, we'd probably be asking saints and angels to pray for us like our Roman Catholic and Orthodox friends do. Although Michael and I talked about this, I have a hard time changing my mind that this text and others like it are not advocating that God favors the prayer of some people more than others. Following Occam's razor, the most congruent theology to what the text is speaking seems to be simply that God will not answer a prayer, such as rain in a drought, until someone with great faith or righteousness, like Elijah, prays. And if that's true, what does that say about God? I mentioned in the intro episode, the book of Job, how it was written against the theology that suffering only comes to those who did something to deserve it. It seems that the Bible supports a both-and theology, that sometimes something happens to us as divine punishment for sins, and other times things happen regardless of our righteousness. I'm comforted, but also intrigued the most by what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, that God causes the rain to fall on the righteous and the unrighteous alike. Why did God answer or not answer a prayer? There's no one explanation. It could be a myriad of reasons, and this critical mind of mine may always have trouble trusting without fully knowing in this life. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Steve Malunovic, and you've been listening to You Changed My Mind podcast. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns about my salvation, feel free to email me anytime at youchangemymindpodcast at gmail.com.